my name is Terry Dalrymple, and uh, this is a workshop on impacting whole nations through community health initiatives. So if you're in the wrong place, this is the time to make your exit. He might mug you at the door if you try to get out, but that's all right. I'm assuming that the kind of people that are gathering in this room right now um, are visionaries, people who aren't content to do projects but want movements that sweep a nation, people who are willing to dream big dreams, um, people who might be thought to be impractical, unrealistic, out of touch, um, but people who see things that other people don't see. My mom has a word of advice for all of you. Actually, it was my father um, who sat me down several times along the path, and he said this to me. If you get out too far ahead, they're going to mistake you for the enemy. Um, but that's okay. Um, we still need to dream our dreams. Uh, we need to see the things that God allows us to see. We need to be able to communicate our vision and our passion um, and believe that God can do things bigger uh, than any of us could imagine. And so the title, Impacting Whole Nations, is going to turn some people off right away. Um, they're not going to see potential. They're not going to see opportunity. But I, I believe that you're here because you're the kind of person that sees that. And so I think we're kindred spirits in the room here. Um, maybe not. Maybe I'm scaring some of you away already. Uh, but uh, um, let's proceed. Why don't we start with prayer? Father, thank you. Thank you for bringing us together in this room, in this place, in this time for your purposes. And I have no idea, Lord, what your purposes are. I know that you're working in every life and in every ministry. You're working around the world by your spirit um, to reveal your glory, uh, to bring, uh, use your people, to bring uh, a foretaste of the kingdom that you have prepared for us. And so, Father, as we explore ideas today, I just pray that you would guide our thoughts and our minds um, and that each of us would go away with, with something from you as a result of this. In Jesus' name, amen. What if God wanted to use you to inspire movements that would result in better health for everyone? What if God wanted to use you to lift whole communities out of cycles of poverty and disease? What if God wanted to use you to mobilize hundreds of thousands of community health workers, volunteers, into millions of homes as witnesses in word and deed? What if God wanted to use you to strengthen his church worldwide and to lead local congregations to a more impactful ministry? What if God wanted to use you to transform a nation? Would you be available to him to, an answer, to, to answer a call like that? I think there's three keys to impacting whole nations that we're going to talk about in our workshop today. One of them is vision. The second is strategy. And the third is a high-impact mission network. And so we're going to explore those things together. I hope by the end of the time, you will have an idea and maybe even be convinced that God could use the church to transform a nation. In fact, I think we have a small vision of the great 
commission that Jesus gave to us. He said, make disciples of all nations. And God didn't call us just to save souls, to live disembodied lives on clouds, playing harps in eternity for heaven. He called us to make disciples, people who would follow him and walk in righteousness and advocate justice and live out compassion. And so many times we as Christians are living downstream from culture. We're reacting to it. Rather than living upstream from culture and asking God to use us in our vocations, in our work, um, in our ministries, to shape the values of culture and bring a little bit of his kingdom a taste of what he's prepared for us in the future, into the present right here and now. Jesus said about us, you are the salt of the earth. Think about that for a minute. You are the salt of the earth. That says a number of things to me, but among other things it says that if we don't do it, If the church doesn't do it, there is no salt. You are the light of the world. If the church is not the light shining the values of the kingdom, um, preaching the forgiveness of sins, calling people to repentance and faith in Christ, believing the Holy Spirit is going to work in their hearts, to make them agents of transformation, agents of change in the communities, in the families, where, in the workplaces where God has placed them. If we are not that light, there is no light. The church is God's agent of transformation. And so I think one of the first things that we need to recover if we want a vision of impacting a whole nation, is the understanding that that is what, what God wants his church to be. That's what he wants us to do. A friend of mine says this, when the church fails to disciple the nation, the nation disciples the church. When the church is not shaping the values of culture, The culture shapes the values of the church. And so what do we have in the church? We have people who think of their faith as a private, personal relationship with God. And they come to church on Sunday and their Christian life is about singing worship songs and listening to preachers preach and getting into the Word of God and praying But when they go to work on Sunday where they're supposed to be the salt and light of the earth, they're operating on naturalist, secularist principles that they learned in their secular education. And so we have churches with people whose minds are secular and whose hearts are given to Jesus. But what did did Jesus say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. God hasn't called us to a sacred-secular divide. He's called us to live holistic lives that reflect the values of of the kingdom in every uh, thing we do. Jesus is to be recognized as Lord over all. And that's part of the vision. That's part of what we need to capture as the church. That God has called us to disciple nations. He's called us to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And when the church fails to disciple the nation, the nation disciples the church. When the church fails to be the influence that God intends it to be on the culture around, there is no influence. If the light is not shining, the world is in darkness. The commission that God has given to us is huge. 
It's about bringing people to faith in Christ and seeing them become followers of Him for time and eternity. And to begin to reflect His values and His life right here and now. When I think about this holistic gospel that God has given to us, which I've just described to you, um, and then I look at what's happening in the church. Twenty years ago with evangelicals, I was shouting at church planters, we need to do social action. Because in the beginning of the last century, evangelicals, fundamentalists as they were called back then, were fighting against the social gospel in order to preserve the authority of Scripture. And evangelicals said the mission of the church is not social action. Somebody else can do hospitals and schools and all of that kind of thing. The mission of the church is evangelism and church planting. And liberal churches who rejected the authority of Scripture took shalom as their mission. And they built hospitals and they built schools. We focused on other things. That's a dualism that doesn't come from Jesus. It comes from Plato. It is an evangelical Gnosticism and an error that is as old as the church itself. And God, um, God wants us to bring evangelism and social action together in our personal life and in our ministries. Our lives and our ministries should not only tell the truth of Jesus, it should show the touch of Jesus. And the question that I ask as I speak to groups like this uh, around the world is, if we bring the truth of Jesus, but we don't bring his touch, have they seen Jesus? Let's reverse that. (laughs) If we bring the touch of Jesus, but we don't tell them his truth, have they seen Jesus? In order for them to see Jesus, they need to see these things integrated in our lives. Ministries of word and deed. I was with a group yesterday that plans this conference and the concern was the church planting emphasis is killing the medical missions movement. Mission agencies don't want to send out doctors. They want to send out church planters. So if the doctors go out, they've got to become church planters somehow in order to have any value. But that's not what God says. God gives healing. Sometimes he does it in miraculous ways in answer to our prayer. But most of the time he delivers it through human hands. Luther talked about that as wearing the masks of God. When when I minister to uh, someone um, who is sick and in need, I am bringing health to them as an agent of Christ. And that will transform everything we do when you think that through to the bottom. Because the reason I'm in health care, the reason I do what I do, um, is not to meet regulations and make money. It's to bring honor and glory to Jesus and to bring a piece of his kingdom into the work that I do right now. Our vision begins with our worldview. I have a concern because 20 years ago I was yelling at evangelicals, we need to be doing social action. You know what we're going to have to yell at the next generation? The younger people in here that are under 30? Social action has become a popular thing. Everybody in our culture uh, thinks that we should be doing social action. Baseball teams are doing social action. Football teams are doing social action. Businesses are doing social action. And the church is catching up. Actually, they don't want to be left behind. But social action will be easy for the younger generation. Evangelism will be hard. And we have to have the internal fortitude to say, my life is not about a fad. It's not about social action because that's what everybody's doing. And I'm going to do evangelism and social action 
in my life and in my ministry. Those things are going to be integrated in me because of my faith in Christ. And if we don't attach our projects to our theology, then what's going to happen is the pendulum's going to keep swinging back and forth from one extreme to the other. And it will only land in the middle when we decide that we need to be obedient to everything that Jesus commanded and quit choosing which of his commands might be most important. That question, have you had that question? When I went to the mission field, somebody said to me, if you feed somebody today, they're going to be hungry again tomorrow. You save their soul today, they're saved forever. Bottom line, what does it matter if you feed them and they go to hell? You heard that argument? You know what the problem is? The assumptions are dualistic. The, the assumptions are secular, sacred, sacred, secular divide. It's not a legitimate question. The question that we should be asking is not which of Christ's commands is most important, but how do we obey everything that Jesus commanded? So, I think that if we want to impact nations, it's got to begin with a shift in our worldview inside of us that says, I am going to be obedient to everything that Jesus commanded. And a belief that when Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world, that that's what he meant. And that when the church fails to disciple the nation, the nation will disciple the church. You know what's interesting to me? The first person to articulate to me a vision for the church impacting whole nations uh, was not a church person. It was a government official. I was in Papua New Guinea... I was talking with a man who was directing the Healthy Islands Initiative, which was their community health initiative in Papua New Guinea, supported by AusAid and the World Health Organization. And as we talked um, about you know, why I was there, he said to me, there is only one institution in this country with the capacity to mobilize enough people to do what needs to be done in the area of community health, and that's the church. You hear that? And that can be said around the world. It's being echoed by other government agencies, including the U.S. government. Have you heard of the PEPFAR initiative? Um, the president's uh, uh, initiative on, on AIDS. Actually, it was an admission by government that church, that the church, which they call faith-based organizations, has an essential role to play in the healing of the nations. And PEPFAR was an invitation from government to faith-based organizations to par- participate with them in a global initiative. A report came out from the U.S. State Department U.S. Department of State, 2012, last year. And this is what they said. Without the contributions of our faith-based organization partners, the U.S. President's Emergency Plan for AIDS Relief, PEPFAR, could not have achieved the extraordinary impact on the HIV-AIDS epidemic of the past decade. U.S. Department of State. They went on. Talking about faith-based organizations. Supporting antiretroviral treatment for nearly 4 million people living with HIV. Interventions to prevent mother-to-child transmission that allowed approximately 200,000 infants to be born HIV-free in 2011 alone. Care for over 4 million orphans and vulnerable children. FBOs, faith-based organizations, you read that, you and me, right? the church, have been central to all these achievements. U.S. Department of State, 2012. They go on. 
These partners work with us in areas of the world that have been hardest hit by AIDS. In Sub-Saharan Africa, it is estimated, get this, in Sub-Saharan Africa, it is estimated that 40% of healthcare services are provided by FBOs. Read the church. Many of which serve the most rural areas and the most marginalized peoples. Faith-based organizations have long histories with strong community roots and a deep reservoir of trust on which to draw. Robust participation of FBOs is not optional. The U.S. government says your participation is not optional. It is essential. It is essential for an effective response to AIDS. The government is crying out to the church. You are in every place. You have a reservoir of trust. You're delivering 40% of the healthcare services in Africa. We can't do this without you. And now they're reporting back and they're saying the achievements of PEPFAR could not have been accomplished apart from faith-based organizations. The church's market share. Um, it's hard to get a handle on this, uh, but different studies... Um, would say that somewhere between 30 and 60% of healthcare and educational services is provided by the church in uh, many developing countries. UN, uh, UNFPA. The former president of the World Bank, James Wolfenson, says that half the work in education and health in sub-Saharan Africa is done by the church. If you're old like me, you were probably born in a hospital named something like this. Hollywood Presbyterian, St. Joe's, St. Luke's, Bethlehem Lutheran. Uh, if you study the history of healthcare in this country, the church birthed it. Same thing's true of education. You go to the Ivy League schools, those schools were set up as schools to develop character in youth so that they can be leaders uh, to build a nation. Part of the problem in education today is that we don't have a Christian philosophy. We live in a consumer society which is born out of naturalism. Um, I just happened here. I'm not made in the image of God. The only purpose for living is to consume. Get as, get as much as you can. The guy with the most toys wins. Um, get a job, make a lot of money. So what is education about today? Get a job, make a lot of money. But that's not what it was about when it was rooted in Christian principle. It was about developing character in people so that they could build a nation. The church's market share. Healthcare spending... Um, when you think about the World Health Organization, uh, do you know what their budget was 2010, 2011? I had to go there because I couldn't find anything later. $3.88 was what the World Health Organization spent on health care 2010, 2011. The Roman Catholic Church alone... invested $98.6 billion in healthcare systems in that same time period. 57% of the total budget. NGOs, mostly church agencies, provide 20% of external health aid. So external health aid is, when we talk about the church delivering 30 to 60% of healthcare services, that's what's going on inside the country. Healthcare aid is what's money that's coming in from outside the country. This was a 1994 report, and it was hard to find um, good data on this, but this report said NGOs provided 20% of external health aid in 1984. The church has a role to play in discipling nations. In, in impacting whole nations. 
And so my challenge to you is let's stop thinking about little projects and start thinking about how we can change a nation. And there is a cry out there to the church right now. 21,000 children die each day before the age of five, most of them from preventable causes. I'm a uh, Diamondbacks fan. Um, I'm here in Louisville, so I, I, uh, you know, I, I don't know what you think about the Diamondbacks, but they, they may not be on your radar, but we love them in Arizona. And Jeannie and I, you know, Jeannie, she watches baseball differently than I do. This is my wife. Um, I have two claims to fame. One is I was born in Hollywood, California. The other is I'm married to the most beautiful girl in the world. <laughs> and when Jeannie watches baseball, it's all about the people, right? Oh, he's married to her, and they got these kids, and, and uh, I like him. He's, he, I, he really is a good personality. And then when the trade happens and the good personality gets sent away, bang, you know, angry at everybody. And, you know, for me, it's not about people. It's about winning and losing. And so I'm looking at the strategy, and I'm looking at we, – so we see this differently, but we both enjoy it. All right? We go to a game, Diamondbacks game, uh, not very often. But I was sitting in the stadium one day, uh, an average game, 24,000 people in the stadium. I looked around at that crowd. I said, that's it? That's the number. 20, 24. Oh, it's close to the number. <laughs> 21,000 children dying before the age of five every day, most of them from preventable causes. There are 780 million people who do not have access to safe drinking water. Um, that's about one in, one in nine, one in ten of us on earth. The cry to the church. 2.5 billion people do not have access to improved sanitation facilities. The world is crying out and Jesus is calling. What did Jesus say? If you've done it to the least of these, you've done it to me. He put himself in the place of those children that are dying. He said, you saved my life. You're saving me. You saved that child's life. You're saving me. We think about worship as singing songs to God. When you save a young child from death, that is an act of worship. Jesus said, if you've done it to the least of them, you have done it to me. So not only is there a cry from the world... There's a call to the church. And this is my question. If the church is God's agent of transformation, if church ministries need to be obedient to both the Great Commission and the Great Commandment, if God intended change, if transformation begins with the church, if the church is a part of every community, and if church members are commanded by their Lord to love their neighbors... then this seems to me to be something we cannot not do. Now, I know that's not good English, but it makes my point, right? It's compelling. It's urgent. We're there. If we have the capacity to respond to this challenge, how can we ignore it? In these villages where the children are dying, I've been in villages of 1,500 people. There's five to eight evangelical churches in the village, and they don't talk to each other. And while they're there fighting about getting people in their pews, the children in their own village are dying from preventable causes. Who's going to call the church to respond to this cry 
and to the call of Jesus to the least. So what will be the what what will be the reply of the church? And I am going to make it personal here. What will be your reply? Because we we need a cadre of public health professionals and of uh, people equipped to mobilize the church to meet this need in their community and at the same time proclaim the name of Christ. The second thing that we need if we're going to achieve it, we need vision. Have I given you a vision? Nobody's nodding. No, nobody's. Yes. yes. Have I given you a vision? <laughs> I hope so. That's what I tried to do. <laughs> so, next thing we need is a strategy. A strategy. What, what are we going to do? If we're going to respond, how are we going to respond? Is there an intelligent way to get this done? Uh, is there a way that we can mobilize in mass? to achieve this task um, and save those children. Let me talk to you for a minute about total health care delivery because this is a medical missions conference. Um, Historically, uh, medical missions has focused on the curative. They haven't focused on preventing disease. They've focused on curing it. So historically what they've done is they've built hospitals and they've built clinics around the world. I worked at an organization called Medical Ambassadors. Before I arrived on the scene, um, they were doing mobile clinics uh, in various countries around the world, and they had come to this conclusion. Our clinics are recycling centers. People are coming to us for treatment. They're going back and drinking the same water that made them sick. And the next time we come through, we're treating the same people for the same problems. And the question was, how do you get at the roots of it? How do you get at the cause? The World Health Organization says that 70% of the disease burden in the developing world can be prevented. 70% of the disease burden can be prevented. But what we need is this ground level the foundation of the pyramid, we need community health. And when we talk about a vertically aligned healthcare system, um, we're talking about a total system that delivers health to a community. We can have hospitals and clinics and the community itself still be unhealthy unless we do the prevention. <coughs> Let me show you another slide here. Um, if we think about a hospital, what kind of people work in the hospital? Doctors, nurses, Doctors, nurses specialists. What kind of equipment? Expensive, <laughs> Expensive equipment. Fancy. All right. Fancy <laughs> equipment. So it's high end. Where are they located generally? In the cities. From a village, sometimes you have to travel 30 miles to get to a hospital. So uh, not always accessible either. Um, When people come to the hospital, they're usually um, acute. Uh, And while there is opportunity, especially if you're in a Christianized country where they already have a concept of God and a concept of sin, and, uh, you know, uh, then it, it is possible to do evangelism in a hospital setting. But can you do follow-up in a hospital or discipleship in a hospital? A little more difficult to do that. You can bring them to Christ at a moment of crisis. Um, You might pray with them, but you're not likely to sit down and have lessons with them in the hospital um, about what it means to be a believer and follow Christ. Um, And you're certainly not going to be walking with them in their homes through the difficulties that they face. Um, helping them change behaviors and, um, and, and 
build communities that reflect the values of the kingdom. So let's think about the clinic. The clinics, who, who, who staffs the clinic? Nurses. Nurses. PAs, physicians, assistants. Okay, those kinds of people. Lower level than the hospital. Um, how far are the clinics from the villages? 15 miles sometimes. You know, in, in other countries, they try to make it six to eight miles. Uh, don't always make it that way, but yeah. Um, but closer than the city most of the time, right? A uh, little less expensive. Can you do evangelism in a clinic? Can you do a little bit. Can you do a follow-up? Maybe if they're a little closer and you had staff, you could follow them home and work with them. Um, but what about the community health? Where do you do community health? In the homes and in the schools. Can you do evangelism in a home? Can you do follow-up in a home? Can you do discipleship in a home? Everything that we want to do as a church to transform lives, to restore health, um, to alleviate poverty, holistic poverty, as Brian, uh, as, as Brian Fickert described it the other day. Um, if we want to do that, that happens in the home. And that's where we need to be, at the community level. Now let's think about expense and cost. How much does it cost the church up here? Huge, a lot of money. How much does it cost down here? Who does the work down here? Volunteers. The church. It costs almost nothing. So my question is, why have we focused entirely on the curative and neglected the prevention? When we have the opportunity to mobilize the church around the world for this. So, is there a strategy out there for achieving that? Um, I've been around a while and uh, I'm not going to talk. I think this would be review to go over that. Um, but is there a strategy to get the job done? Let me tell you about community health evangelism. It's a strategy uh, being used in more than 100 countries around the world by hundreds of different organizations. I, I coordinate a network called the Global Chain Network, Community Health Evangelism Network. Um, there are uh, 2,000 trained members in our network, roughly, um, working in uh, 124 countries, representing 585 different Christian organizations. What does a CHE program look like? Um, when a CHE program is mature, there are health workers. If it's a church-based program, they come from the church itself. If it's a church-initiated program, community-based, then the health workers come from the community. But either way, they're trained by Christian people who go into the community to do the community health evangelism program. These health workers are trained one topic at a time. So they're taught about the importance of clean water. And uh, they go into the homes and they teach the families, they, they teach their neighbors. Usually each CHE is assigned eight to ten families. Um, they teach them about the importance of clean water. They help the family sanitize their drinking water. And they open the scriptures and talk about the living water. And when people in the homes come to Christ, they're brought into small groups. And those small groups can become church planning movements. They can, can become cells. They can be brought together to form a new uh, existing church. So uh, the, the, the result spiritually um, is either building the existing church or planting a new one. Whatever you need to do in that community. And at the same time, those families are learning uh, um, causes for their disease 
and changing their behaviors so that child mortality rates drop. And in external evaluations, we've seen child mortality rates cut in half. Um, and in, in one study that I looked at, uh, done by FIDA in Finland, uh, it dropped from above 8% to 1 point something percent, uh, the child, uh, child mortality rate in these villages. Just by mobilizing volunteer health workers, many of them from the church, in a community to work in families' homes uh, to change behaviors. Those health workers um, report to a committee. The committee is elected by the community. They are leaders that represent the community. And the way the committee is formed is these trainers from the church that come uh, to the village they raise awareness. They help the community identify why they have some of the problems that they have, look at causes, identify what assets and resources are available to them, and then put together a plan and mobilize their community to work against their own problems. So once the community comes to a place where they're ready to move, the trainers say to the community, you choose some leaders, um, you form a committee, and we will train them in project management. And so the committee is trained then um, to identify problems, identify uh, assets and resources, put together a, a plan, mobilize the people to work together, um, and to initiate community-wide uh, uh, projects, strategies. So what are some of the things that we've seen committees around the world work on? They've built schools. They've done roads. They've done electrification. They've piped clean water into every home. They've done agricultural projects. They've done animal husbandry, fish ponds. Um, on and on it goes, all using local resource. So can, can you see the structure? A church uh, people come into a community raise awareness, organize a committee. The committee chooses health workers. The health workers are trained by the Christian uh, people who have come in from the outside to go into the homes and work with families. The committee is trained by the Christians who have come in from the outside to do projects as a community. And here's the result. The community is lifted out of cycles of poverty and disease, and the church is planted at the heart of community. When I was a church planter, I, would, I, I was running around the outside of the community yelling about the forgiveness of sins. Some people came and heard me, and they joined me on the periphery, and my church was on the margins. But when we've planted churches this way, the church is seen as the agent of transformation. So I can take you to a place in Guatemala. There's only 30 families in the church. There's 150 families in the community. 150 families contributed to build the church. 150 families were there when the church building was dedicated. I would dare you to try to take that church out of the community. But that's what happens when, when our ministries are integrated. So here is a, a strategy uh, to get the job done. What do we need if we're going to be effective at this? We need a commitment to engage and equip local churches as partners in community health. We need some of you to approach churches, cast a vision, and equip them to do this kind of work. What else do we need? We need trained workers within our fellowships who can cast vision, train, and equip. I don't see you as being a trainer I see you as a person who trains trainers. Um, but if we're going to succeed, we need not only people running around talking to churches and casting vision, and uh, we, we need people who are in the church, trained and equipped to do the job. And that would be part of the task that you could do, is casting vision and training people within the church to reach out to their own community or to communities around them. And the third thing we need is simple tools and materials that the church can use. 
The CHE curriculum has 6,500 plus lesson plans on everything from animal husbandry, ag- agriculture, microenterprise development, to perinatal care, um, children's CHE. Um, this is community health evangelism. Uh, the, you, can, you can find out about this at the chenetwork.org. There's a, a brochure there that I, I gave out to you. The, the website is on it. Right. So we need those tools. Um, some case studies. Uh, I wish I had time. How much time do I have left? That clock is wrong. Somebody tell me. Five minutes. I have five minutes? Okay. In Liberia, there is one organization, Equip Liberia, that has mobilized 10,000 chase. And the leaders of that ministry are actually on the committee that is writing um, government policy for health throughout the country. Samaritan's Purse is also using CHE in Liberia. When I was there, they were working in about 22 uh, different villages with CHE. Uh, Since that time, they found that that what they did in those villages was so successful that they want to make CHE the foundation of their work nationwide. So the first thing they're going to do is CHE programs, and then their well well drilling and the other things that they do um, will come later building capacity for communities after they get a vision for what they can do for themselves. Rwanda. Uh, Saddleback Church, Rick Warren, uh, adopted the Che Ministry um, uh, approach. Uh, he, he called it community peace. You heard of the peace, peace plan? Um, they executed in Rwanda. Within uh, three and a half years, they had mobilized... 12,000 community health workers uh, in Rwanda. You can read about that on uh, Saddleback's website. Kay Warren has written an article about it. Cambodia, the Assemblies of God over a 10-year period uh, impacted about 150-plus communities. Uh, I don't have the exact number in my head, but it's in that range. Um, And one of the last times I visited there, uh, the community development workers uh, told me, we have a problem. I said, what's that? They said, the, the church planting people are not happy with us. Why? Because the community development workers are planting more churches than the church planting teams. Vietnam, uh, I wish I could tell you about going into Vietnam. Um, there's the registered church and there are house churches, underground churches, uh, we had work in both places. Uh, with the registered church, about 75 uh, churches across the country. Ethiopia, John Payne from Medical Ambassadors is on his way to Ethiopia now um, to celebrate successes from a program that was initiated six or seven years ago that has now impacted 400 communities and has become a major strategy in the Kalihewa Church in Ethiopia. In Uganda, CHE has become a part of the ministry of the Church of Uganda. They have more than 200 communities engaged in community health evangelism in Uganda with the Church of Uganda. Um, World Challenge uh, has worked together with a Finnish group, FIDA International, with the Pentecostals, uh, and they have about 50 communities impacted uh, in Uganda. In the Congo, Mennonites and Presbyterians have a program that's about 20 years old. Um, They have now reached um, and are impacting somewhere in the neighborhood of 600 uh, communities. And you know what I think? Right now, it's time to strike in South Sudan. Um, South Sudan is a new government. They fashion themselves as Christian. Um, They have no infrastructure. Community health is their number one priority. Uh, We need to get together as Christians. And that's going to take us to the last thing. Uh, If we're going to be successful, we need a high-impact missional network. We can't do this work alone. The Apostle Paul did not do this work alone. I'm going to see if I can bring this up. But you remember reading in the book of Romans and other places, the 16th chapter of Romans is just a bunch of lists of names. um, And we skip it and we wonder why, you know, why why did God include all of these things? Um, We often think that the Apostle Paul was a hero who planted all of these churches uh, among the Gentiles um, by himself. 
But the truth is that Paul built a network, and I'm going to kind of scroll down here on a website page. Um, Paul and his main associates, um, but I want you to see these are the names of people who were associated with the Apostle Paul in his ministry. I'm just going to scroll to give you a perspective. And Paul developed relationships. He worked at developing relationships with these people. And that's why he had someone to leave in this place when he needed to leave them. And he had somebody to go from here to there when he needed to get a gift delivered. And he had uh, this and that because uh, Paul invested. In fact, the relations, the relationships um, that Paul formed, the, the letters he wrote in the New Testament, many of them were part of that relationship building that he was doing. And we need to be working together across denominational lines in networks if we really want to achieve um, if we really want to achieve national impact. So here is what I think the danger is. If we fail to impact nations, it's going to be because of division and duplication. It's going to be because we're all working in our little foxholes and developing our own strategies and our own projects and not working together to get it done. Small individual successes rather than sweeping reform. If division, um, uh, if we don't get together, the danger is we are going to just do small individual projects We're going to have projects rather than movements, duplicated effort, mission programs rather than a new way of doing mission. The solution is collaboration. Collaboration is the single best strategy for addressing the most pressing uh, needs in the world today. It reduces our duplication of effort. It maximizes the impact of our ministries. And it strengthens the credibility of our witness for Christ. The solution, if we want to impact nations, is to invest in high-impact mission networks that will accelerate the progress of the gospel through a collaboration and allow us to accomplish together what no one of us could do alone. What if God wanted to use you to inspire movements that would result in better health for all? What if God wanted to use you to lift whole communities out of cycles of poverty and disease? What if God wanted to use you to mobilize hundreds of thousands of community health workers into millions of homes as witnesses in word and deed? What if God wanted to use you to strengthen his church worldwide and to lead local congregations to a more impactful ministry? What if God wanted to use you to transform a nation? If you want to answer that call, talk to me. Come to our booth, 1103, Community Health Evangelism. Talk to somebody there. I'm over time, aren't I? I'm right on time, but I don't have time for questions. No. (laughs) So I'll just hang out here if you have questions. Uh, Thank you. God bless you.